Our text for today comes from two places. The first is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And then we will read from Colossians 1, verses 1 through 14. And you can follow along on page 7 in your church bulletin. A legal expert stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to gain eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you interpret it? He responded, you must love the Lord with all with your Lord God with all your heart and with all your being and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the legal expert wanted to prove that he was right. So he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He encountered thieves who stripped him naked, beat him up, and left him near death. Now it just so happened that a priest was also going down the same road. When he saw the injured man, he crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. Like a Levite, likewise, a Levite came by that spot, saw the injured man, and crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. A Samaritan, who was on a journey, came to where the man was. But when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. The Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wounds, tending them with oil and wine. Then he placed the wounded man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took two, day, two full days' worth of wages and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, take care of him, and when I return, I will pay you back for any additional costs. What do you think? Which one of these was a neighbor to the man who encountered thieves? The legal expert said, the one who demonstrated mercy towards him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And now from Colossians. From Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers and sisters in the church in Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We have done this since we heard your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people. You have this faith and love because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have previously heard about this hope, the true message, the good news, which has come to you. This message has been bearing fruit and growing among you since the day you heard and truly understood God's grace in the same way that it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world. You learned it from Epaphras, who is the fellow slave we love and Christ's faithful minister for your sake. He informed us of your love in the Spirit. And because of this, since this day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking for you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, with all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We're praying this so that you can live lives that are worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him in every way, by producing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, by being strengthened through his glorious might so that you endure everything and have patience, and by giving thanks with joy to the Father. He has made it so you could take part 
in the inheritance in light granted to God's holy people. He rescued us from the control of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. He set us free through the Son and forgave our sins. This is the word of God for all the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So if I were to ask you this morning which person you would identify within the parable of the Good Samaritan, what would you say? I think that the most common answer of all the characters probably would be the Good Samaritan. We all want to think that we would be the person that would see someone on the side of the road stop and take care of this stranger. And we tell ourselves that this is exactly what we would do. But is that really true? Would we really stop our car or stop if we're taking a jog on a path and if we see someone bleeding and left for dead, would we really decide to stop or would we walk on and make excuses to ourselves? It's been actually now nearly about eight years since we learned of the shocking child abuse scandal at Penn State University. That ensuing mess brought down probably one of the most famous collegiate coaches of all time, Joe Paterno. He had to step down from being head coach and he died a few months later in shame. When the news broke that one of his assistant coaches, Jerry Sandusky, was sexually abusing boys for years, there was a lot of outrage that no one seemed to stop what was going on. There was another assistant coach, Mike McQuarrie, who saw what was happening. He tried very much to report what was going on, especially to Coach Paterno, and nothing happened. There have been thousands of news articles written uh, and shouting anger at the scandal, which makes sense. But there was one article that struck, stuck, stuck with me all this time. And it was written by Maiden McArdle. She is a columnist for the Washington Post, but she wrote this back, when she, back then when she was a columnist for Atlantic Magazine. And what I remember about it is that she explained in many ways so clearly why it was so hard for someone to say anything in this situation. And this is what she writes. Assistant coach Mike McQuarrie grew up in State College. His family was friends with Jerry Sandusky, of course, and Sandusky had coached him. Joe Paterno had worked with Sandusky closely for years. And if you think about that, what would you have done in a situation where you caught someone you love and respect in that position? Is it really so obvious as the chest thumping punditariat claims that you would have leaped into the shower, beaten the snot out of him, and fraud marched him to the police after you rescued the kid? Really? Would you have done that to your father, your favorite uncle, your best friend, a beloved mentor? Think about all that that really entails. 
overcoming all the shock and horror, the defensive mechanisms that you, had, you make, you question before what you're really seeing. The total destruction of a long relationship as soon as you have named it out aloud and accused him to his face. The actual physical logistics of grabbing a naked 60-year-old man, detaching him from, from that child and then pounding him on him for a while as a 10-year-old you don't know watches. The fact that the minute you go to police, you will have utterly ruined this man's life. He will be jobless, friendless, and branded as the worst sort of pervert by everyone in the country. Oh, and also in protective custody so that other inmates in jail don't like kill him. To make her point even more clearly, she goes back in history and she talks about the Holocaust and about how many people actually did protect Jews from the Nazis? Have you ever wondered, have you ever polled your friends about how many of them would have been sheltering Jews in Nazi Germany? In the casual conversations I've had, the percentage of people who said they actually would, of course, runs somewhere between 85 and 95%. The actual number, about 10,000, according to Yad Vashem. Of course, that number is incomplete, and it, it includes only those who actually risk their lives. But multiply it by 10, multiply it by 100, you're still at what? Maybe 1% of the people who had the opportunity to defy the Nazis as they accomplished the most comprehensive ethnic cleansing in history. Was this because 99% of Germans, Poles, French, Dutch, and other people were depraved? Or were they frightened people in a brutal state with rather ordinary levels of cowardice and indifference to the plight of others? Now, Mercado is not excusing any of this. What she's trying to get us to understand is that we like to picture ourselves as the hero. We want to picture ourselves as the Good Samaritan. We want to be the person that stands up to do the right thing. But far too often, we are scared. We know, because we know deep down in our hearts that there are costs for actually standing up to evil. And sometimes we realize or think that the barrier is far too high for us to leap over. It always reminds me of a young woman I remember talking to many, about 20 years ago, and she was talking to a friend of hers about what she would have done in the American South during slavery, and her friend was not sure that she would have spoken up. But this young lady who was telling the story was confident that she would have spoken up and done something about it. And the fact is, I'm not so sure she would have. In today's passage, which is probably one of the most well-known passages, one of the most well-known parables, Jesus meets a young lawyer, a Pharisee, who comes up to talk to Jesus. And the Pharisee asks a question that is typical to ask for someone that is a rabbi. His question is what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus replies, what does the law say? And the young man responds, you must love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your being, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus tells him that he has answered correctly. 
Of course, now the young man has another question. Who is my neighbor? Now, some versions of scripture say that he was doing this to justify himself. It could be that he wanted to trick Jesus. It could be that he wanted to pat himself on the back for being such a good person. Or he could be asking a simple question. We just don't know. What we do know is that Jesus responds by telling the story. He puts these characters who are well-versed in the law in this story. And they are the ones, of course, that pass the wounded man by. And the hero, or the person that does actually become the neighbor, is a Samaritan. Now, it's important to know that Samaritans were not liked by Jews and vice versa. They didn't like, the Samaritans were not liked because Jews saw them as heretics. They were people who were basically, to use a derogatory term, half-breeds. It was usually Jews that had entered into relationships with non-Jews. And so you had these people who were kind of a separate people related to the Jews, but not necessarily the same. So there was always this kind of clash between these two. And so Jesus picks up the person who is the one who is following and is the neighbor, is the one that you least expect, the one who was different from everyone else. Jesus sets up this table, this tale, by showing this in a way that the lawyer would understand. So here were two people, the priest and the Levite, the people who were considered the ones that closely followed the law. But the interesting thing, of course, is that these two people, who would be considered faithful to the law, who would know the law inside and out, and knew that there were many provisions about what did you do with the neighbor, saw the injured man on the road and passed him by. And as I said, the men knew their law. They knew that making them, that what touching this man could make them unclean, but they also knew the law talked about care for the neighbor. But their faith was such, and their fear was such, that they, it left no room for love and care of other people. The question is, why did the priest and Levite pass by? Was it fear? Were they afraid that they were suffering the same fate? Maybe this road was not very safe and they were afraid. It is easy for us to look at the priest and at the Levite and for us to say, we aren't them. We would never act this way. But the question is, would we? If you want to know why, why for so many years the abuse scandal that happened in the Catholic Church happened, what is happening here is says that people have a hard time getting to the point where they can get out from themselves to do what is right. And that's all of us. All of us have that problem. Paul's letter to the Colossians 
opens by him giving thanks to the church in Colossae. And he was thankful that they were able to bear fruit. And he uses that phrase twice in today's passage, which seems to mean the good news, the gospel had entered people's hearts and was producing good works. It was bearing fruit. And this is a reminder of what Paul said in the book of Galatians about the fruits of the spirit. Now, spiritual fruit is supposed to be evidence that God is at work in us. And when we care for the neighbor as Christians, it is evidence to show that God is at work. As Christians, we know that good works do not save us. We are saved through Jesus Christ. But good works show that Christ is in us. But when the stakes are high, it is always hard for us to show those good works because so much is at risk. The parable of the Good Samaritan is not simply a tale of how we should help one another, even though it is. Jesus is lifting up basically what was in the law of caring for the other, caring for the stranger, and extending that to us, the church today. But there is another way to look at it. It's also a way that is holding up a mirror to show how much we fail or fall short of the ideal of what Christ is calling us to do and to be. Our Lutheran and Reformed sisters and brothers like to talk about the uses of the law. I remember this from seminary, and of course, as many of you know, I went to a Lutheran seminary. One of those uses of the law is to show how we fall short, that we are not all that, that sometimes we aren't able to do and to be who God calls us to be. And it is in these situations and in these times that we have to rely on God's mercy and to ask God to change our hearts, to give us a sense be willing to step out and to do what is right. I think that when we hear this tale, I think Jesus knew that it would be hard for that young lawyer to cross and stop on the other side of the road to help this person. But we live in a time today where we see things happening all the time. And there are victims on the side of the road there are children being treated inhumanely on the border. There are women and girls that are subject to sexual abuse. And there are Muslims, in China especially, being sent to internment camps simply because of their faith. And that's not to to forget all the other things and the horrible things that are happening in our community. So what are we to do? Maybe the first is to stop thinking that we are the hero of our own story, because we're not. Too often, we have to remind ourselves we are the priest or the Levite that walks around the wounded man. And what we need to do is to ask God for strength, to ask God for courage, 
and to care for those on the side of the road. When I was a child, my mother, I remember, telling me the story of Kitty Genovese. Now, it's a story that has become kind of lore, even though it's not, it has changed. What we know about it no longer is. But the way that the story is talked about is that Genovese was a young woman who was living in New York. And she was murdered in, in March of 1964. And the way that the, the kick of the story, the story that everyone remembers is that as her attacker stabbed her almost many, many times, that people watched and did nothing. Now, decades later, they found out this was not the case, that there was a lot of misreporting going on. But that story took hold, maybe because it was a way of talking about what people thought was the coldness of the time, of people not willing to get involved. But the funny thing is, if you read and know about the actual story, there was someone that did something. Genevieve was actually stabbed in two different periods. She was stabbed just as she was walking to the apartment, and then actually a half hour later, the same attacker came and stabbed her to get more. During that first time, a man yelled as this was happening that caused the attacker to flee. Someone was able to say something. The Good Samaritan is a good story to say how we should care for our neighbor. But it also is a story that needs to drive us to our knees. We have to be remindful that we must care for one another, that these, the fruit that has been planted in us helps us and wants us to care for those even when it is hard. The Good Samaritan reminds us that we are still human and we still sin. But we pray that God give us the strength to be the Good Samaritan. Thanks be to God. Amen.